We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That dude right there is Ryan Roberts. I'm Brian Driscoll, and we have a lot to talk about today. We were initially just going to kind of preview UNLV, but uh, Coach Marcus Freeman had his press conference at noon, and there's some injury updates that we want to discuss about this game that we will, we will dive into, but also there's some comments he made, Ryan, to me that coupled with comments that were made by Al Golden and Tommy Reese give me a glimmer of hope that Coach Freeman is going to do what we hoped that he would do, uh, which is step in and say, uh-uh, this isn't good enough. This is what we're going to do, and, and let's rock and roll. So if if that manifests on Saturday, I'm going to be very excited and very happy and pleased and feel like this team is going to have a chance to finally get rolling. So we'll dive into that as well. But the first news is going to be injury news. And then, of course, after this, we'll talk specifically about UNLV. Look, this is a team that Notre Dame should handle comfortably. They just got blown out back-to-back games by San Jose State and Air Force, but so was Stanford and so was Marshall. So it's just going to be about which Notre Dame team shows up, but uh, this is a team that's got some talent, and we're going to talk about what the, the job Marcus Arroyo is doing. We, we really like it. We, Ryan and I have talked about it all week. He's doing a really nice job with this football team. So we'll dive into that. But first let's dive into the injury news, Ryan. The big news was the announcement that Eli Raritan is out for the season after a non in a non-contact drill. He retore the same ACL he he tore in December. That's a, a bad, really big blow for him. Bad blow for him. You never want to tear the same ACL twice. We don't know what that means for his future. Can he heal hundred percent or not? We don't know. We're not going to speculate. It's just, it's not a, it's not a, a good thing you want to see. It's also the timing of it just based on, I'm not trying to give medical advice or medical diagnosis. All I'm saying is last year, Notre Dame had two guys tear their ACLs in October, like late mid to late October to November. That was Kane Barong and Avery Davis. And they were not healthy until kind of into fall camp. And then obviously Avery got injured himself again. And I honestly, well, I'm saving my opinion on, on that keep that one to myself but it looks like it's an injury that's definitely going to keep him out of the spring if it is a, a full tear on the ACL 
especially with the knee injury that he already had on that same knee, might hint, slow him down heading into next next fall camp. So, we'll, again, that's just based off what we've seen from in recent years when guys have had injuries around the same time. So certainly a blow. He was their best blocking tight end by far. The the, the good news, and I hate to even call it good news, but like the positive, I guess, in this is that you did get Mitchell Evans back last week. Mitchell Evans is, you know, they were using Eli Raritan in the same role that they are going to use Mitchell Evans in. So it's at least good that Mitchell Evans is back and healthy because they're similar body types, similar skill sets as far as from a blocking standpoint. And, and of course, Mitchell is a, a weapon in the pass game if you use him in the pass game, which, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, although, again, I said he, he, he did get open on a corner route last week. He just quarterback didn't see him and didn't throw it to him. But so at least you have that. Holden Stace is going to see an, an increased role, according to Marcus Freeman. Then, of course, Kane Barong is is practicing and, and healthy as well. So they, they should be OK. Right. I mean, they're, they're going to be OK. Obviously, Eli Redden's really talented. And it'd be nice to have all those guys plus Eli Raritan. But it, the point is, is that this is a position where you're really deep and you can sustain losing a really talented player like Eli Raritan. You don't ever want to see it. And I'm not trying to be flippant or dismissive of his injury because it's a it's it's disappointing. It stinks for him. It's a blow for the team. I was hoping that he was going to start becoming more of a factor in the offense, to be honest with you. That's obviously not going to happen now. But it is a position, if we're if we're being honest and, and kind of analyzing this, it is a position where Notre Dame is poised to be okay because of just the great numbers that they have. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, it's a great note, man. I mean, from the analyst perspective, right? Like, it's not a backbreaker if you're Notre Dame, right? Like, you can you can get through this. I mean, you mentioned Mitchell Evans coming back. We mentioned Holden Stays, Kane Baron getting healthier. Like, Notre Dame has good depth at tight end. So that's not going to be a huge hurt as far as, you know, just the overall depth of, of the group because they still had good depth outside of having Eli as the potential 
tight end two, tight end three, depending on how he was going to be utilized. But the biggest thing, like you said, Brian, is it's very unfortunate for Eli. You know, a a kid that fought back from an injury to start getting increased playing time and playing well in the role that he was asked to play for Notre Dame. It's very unfortunate, especially, again, I'm not going to play doctor either, but usually you see ACL tears. It's usually the other knee because of some overcompensation stuff like that. Usually with – when you have back to back on the same knee, that's not a great sign. It's not. So hopefully he gets back healthy. Hopefully he gets back in a in a decent amount of a uh, of a time frame where he can you know get back on the field and get, be able to start to get that rehab process started here soon. So hoping for the best for Eli. It's just very disappointing. Obviously already coming back from the injury, and he was to your point, he was playing really well in the role that he was asked to be played so far this right. year. So, Ryan, obviously he also talked about a couple other injury situations. Jason Adamiola is another big one, and he said that Jason is day-to-day with a rib contusion. I think the danger there is he said it'll be kind of a game-time decision. The the concern there is if you have a kid who – like a bruise. It's a bruise, right? And that's that's a bruise. But it's in your ribs, and it's hard. it can be hard to breathe. It can be hard to move when that kind of injury is happening. And so obviously that's a, a concern, but also you don't want the risk of like There's no risk of further damage. Like there's not going to become cartilage damage or bone damage because you play on the bruise. But what you can do is you can re-injure it. And then all of a sudden going into playing Syracuse next week, he's still having those same issues. Me personally, I wouldn't play him. That's just me. I think this is the kind of game where it'd be good to get Gabriel Rubio some snaps. It's a good game to get Jason Onye some snaps. It's a game where you can, you know, get those other guys some snaps and, and and work them in, maybe work Riley Mills a little bit inside, work on that package for you, maybe get Alexander Aaronsberger some snaps. It, it, you know, it's like we said about Marshall, right? If you can't beat Marshall without Jarrett Patterson, then you got bigger problems. Well, they had bigger problems because they lost to Marshall with Jarrett Patterson, and I still felt he got rushed back a week too soon. I feel the same way. You know, I want to make sure that they don't do that with Jason Onye because if you can't beat UNLV without Jason Onye, then you've got much bigger problems. Than Jason Owen, you haven't bruised ribs. So, uh, but at the same time, if he's if the bruise if it's healed by Saturday, play him. Right. Sure. My whole thing is if there's still a bruise and still pain and there's still issues there, then I would sit him. That's just my my two cents. And then if you do play him, get him out as soon as possible. If you jump on him early, just you know take him out and have him ready to go in case you need him. But he'll yep. he's day to day. He said Jaden Mickey is questionable. So you know I don't know I, I don't know the specific injury there. He didn't mention it today. I think it's like I think it was a lower body is what I thought I read. So uh, he looks like he's a little bit shaken up. We they do expect Jacob Lacy or excuse me Tariq Bracy back this week. Jacob Lacy. They expect Tariq Bracy back this week, and we do expect Howard Cross to be able to play as well. And that's what makes this really tricky. Is with Cross a little banged up, with Jacob Lacey quitting the team, Aiden County Anna's already hurt. He got hurt in the spring. It's it may be a little harder to maybe sit Jason to sit Jason Adamiola, but I do think this is a game where you 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 take that chance and you know maybe you suit him up and if he's ready to go, if you need him, you play him. But ideally, if you can get by without playing him, I think that's an ideal scenario, Ryan. I think it's interesting that you mentioned maybe playing Riley a little bit inside, right? Like maybe to sit Jason Adam Alola and, and use a couple different packages might be a good idea because Brian, I mean, as we get into the UNLV conversation, one, I agree with you in a vacuum, right? Like you shouldn't need Jason Adam Alola to beat UNLV. Unfortunately, we can't really fully go there, right? Cause it's, it's kind of haunted us already this year. But the one interesting thing I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing is, 
do you run a little more nickel than you have? You know, I mean, they, they've run a lot of nickel any, regardless, but with Tariq Bracey potentially coming back for this week, do you let Riley Mills play a little more inside and maybe just play Justin Adam Malola a ton more, maybe even put him at big ends during, during this game, a lot of instances, because Notre Dame is going to go against a spread team in UNLV. So they may be able to, you know, parse a little athleticism for the size that they would lose from a Jason Adam Malola and kind of utilize it a little bit differently call it a NASCAR package, call it a nickel, call it, you know, sometimes we're going to run some dime with in this, in these certain instances, you're going against a, a spread team though. It, this might not be the worst time to kind of format with a few different things, right? Like getting some guys in different spots. You mentioned Alexander or Aaronsberger, like maybe he works a little bit inside at points or at strong side end. And then you move Riley Mills inside. Like this might be the week to exper- exper- experiment a little bit with your, what your, front looks because this is a team that you can probably do that to get a little more speed on the field. The nickel situation is interesting, obviously, because you have Tariq Bracey coming off of an injury, but maybe you can get, you can work a little bit more on that three safety nickel that we saw last week early against Stanford. I think that might actually be a good look to have against UNLV, who is a pretty balanced football team. They want to run it. They want to throw it. They're a balanced football team. So, you know, this might be a good week for that. This might be a good week for uh, being in situations where you want to work maybe on your three linebacker alignments with Jack Kaiser and, and a true rover. You know, that might not be a bad look this weekend at times when they're, you know, get certain personnel looks that UNLV is going to show. So I think that the, there's different things that, like you said, Ryan, that they can and should be able to work on this week that should help them be able to to, to find some success as they get ready for, for UNLV. It's it's a I don't want to call it an experimentation week, but this is a week where you can try a few different things and see what right. sticks. Because, I mean, God forbid something happens down the stretch where like a, when you're against a Clemson or a USC or one of the better teams left on the schedule and Jason Adamalola is limited or is not able to play like you have to have a plan B. Right. Again, we always talk about how coaches are judged upon the adjustments that they make. And this could allow the, for them to explore a couple adjustments down the course of the mm-hmm. season, hopefully. So the next thing that we want to discuss is the comments made by Marcus Freeman today during the press conference. And I thought those were very, very fascinating because, you know, we we heard some comments from Tommy Reese about kind of owning the issues that have been going on with the football team. We heard comments from Al Golden talking about, you know, maybe we are, you know, maybe we can simplify things a little bit. And, you know, we kind of briefed this, you know, discussed a little bit on the show yesterday, like, you know, well, hey, you know, is this really kind of, you know, something that Coach Freeman handled? Sean and I had the conversation yesterday saying, look, there's a lot going on in the program right now, and and, and a lot of it's not good. And that tends to happen when you're losing, right? You know, when you're losing, people get a little bit more upset about not playing or how they're treated or, you know, other type of things when things aren't going well. And there's certain people that aren't necessarily living up to the standard that I think Marcus Freeman wants to have uh, how he based on how he coached and how you treat young people. Not everyone is living up to that standard, and that only gets intensified when you're not winning. But we also said this is a great opportunity for Marcus Freeman to really put his blueprint on this football program by going in there and saying, uh-uh, nope, this, is, this isn't how we're going to be. We're going to do this. We're going to do that and make sure that everybody's going forward in the same direction. And then he came out today, Ryan, and he said he said two things about, about today. And, and the first one was, which I was happy to hear, was talking about simplifying, right? I mean, it was, look, we've, we've got to simplify what we're doing and simplify the game plan. And I'm like, amen, right? Now, I, you know, some other things I'd like to see him do, but I don't think he should 
You should like we talked about you and I talked about more diversity in the run game, inside out mix. There's no way in the world Marcus Freeman should if they if they were going to do that. There's no way in the world he should say that in a press conference. Like, you know, like just hand him your game plan. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm just saying, like that's stuff that you know our eyes are open for on Saturday. But the simplifying the game plan thing I thought was important. And then the other part of that comment was he said reducing the number of options. And, and this is a, a tweet from Chuck Freebie uh, that, that I'm just reading kind of what Chuck said because I don't have the direct quote that he said because uh, I didn't write it down. But he said, you know, reducing the number of options and reads that players need to make on each play. And I'm like, hallelujah. Yes. Right. <laughs> hallelujah. Let these kids play fast and and do it against UNLV and then stick with it. Right. And you can adjust your game plan each week and you don't have to run the same game plan week after week after week. That's not simplification. That's. That's not what we're talking about. It's like, look, when you make a call, this is his job. Not he can do this, 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 or this based on this, 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 or this, right? Just let these kids play fast, right? Turn them loose. So that was a positive sign. And then I loved the fact that he, what he said about Drew Pine. You know, he came out uh, talking about Drew and, and just talked about how he reassured Drew about, you know, you're our guy, you can be a good player, how he's hard on him. And I'm like, you know, that's the kind of follow-up you want to have to when you were critical of him on Monday, which again, yeah. I, I'm okay with what he said about Drew Pine. All our issue was why didn't he also say that about his coordinators, right? Especially his offensive coordinator. That's a different story that we already addressed. But then, you know, tear him down. Right, let them know this isn't good enough. This isn't up to the standard. But then build them back up, and yeah. I think that's an important thing that he talked about. And he said Drew came out and had a great week of practice and all that. So I, I was very pleased with that dichotomy of this is what you say on a Monday after a loss, and this is what you say on a Thursday. You know, he's our guy. We told him don't be so hard on yourself. You're our guy. Don't listen to all the noise. Go out there and do what we know you're capable of doing. And and I think that's a positive. And I won't be surprised as long as the game plan is correct. I won't be surprised if if Drew comes out on Saturday and and looks like the guy we saw, you know, the, against North Carolina and to a degree against BYU. I mean, I mean, Brian, it was really nice to hear all these comments when you kind of look at it just in a vacuum, right? Because I mean, you wrote an article a couple of days ago about Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame being at a crossroads of sorts, right? And it's something right now where if there is a identity that is going to be established on this program that you were that you hoped was already being established but if there is a, a a fix or a new layer to this to this vision that Marcus Freeman has it needs to be right now man it has to be because when adversity hits we are judged about how we come come out of the other side right and right now Marcus Freeman has a big opportunity to show that he understands that there's growth that needs to happen, not only from his players, not only from his assistants, but from himself also, right? So I think that the fact that he is open to simplifying is a big thing, right? Because we've talked about it a lot. There's a lot of guys out of position because there's just too much thinking happening, man. And that's making people kind of think, oh, man, Notre Dame lacks talent. No, it's not a lack of talent. It's There's a confusion in what they are being asked to do. And if, simplifi- and if there is a simplification that's going to happen – I am very much looking forward to exactly how it looks like, first and foremost. But I'm happy just the fact that Coach Freeman understands this needs to happen, right? Like that's the self-awareness that we talk about as a professional. He needs to have it himself. I mean, he is the leader of a program. So to be the leader of a program, you need to self-evaluate yourself all the time and say, am I pushing the right buttons? Am I doing the right things? Is this path the right way for everyone that I am leading? So I think it's a great step. We have to see, obviously, what it looks like and what it's going to tangibly look like this week and moving forward. But I think that it was great signs. And we've talked about it a lot, right? Like 
Drew Pine can take the, the, the hard criticism, right? Like he can take that tough coaching, but it's also nice just from a leader perspective that not that after he did tear him down a little bit, that he comes back to Drew and just gives him some reassurance, man. Cause no matter how hard you can be coached, cause I know I was a guy that can be hard, coached pretty hard too. Reassurance is still a pretty nice thing, man. Like it's still a big thing, right? Like it's a big thing to have someone in your ear occasionally saying like, you're doing a great job, man. I believe in you, right? Like those things matter. So a lot of great signs, I think, from Coach Freeman, at least from what we're hearing, now's the next step. What does it look like in Saturday? Does it change? What looks different specifically? Those things are what we don't know yet, but I do think it was a great sign. After having a, a, some puzzling comments and some comments that get you a little worried, I think that this press conference did go a long way to saying, hey, there might be some growth that is happening internally here with this program and with Coach Freeman. Right. Now it's about, okay, now go take it out on the field on Saturday. That's going to yes. be the key, obviously. And, and you know, and and it was, I mean, it's, look, it's just words right now, but it was a different tone, a different, he he wasn't just repeating stuff he says all the time, which is what, which is what I was happy to hear. So that was a, definitely a positive coming out of the press conference, Ryan, for sure. So those, those are aspects of it. Obviously, I'm curious to see how the offense adjusts to not having Eli Raritan. Do they just keep doing the same thing and plug and play? That's going to be something we're going to see. Do they make adjustments from a personnel standpoint, alignment standpoint? All those are questions that we'll have, and we'll dive more into that tomorrow. When we do our predictions, we'll do keys to victory tomorrow. Then we'll do our UNLV prediction, and then we'll talk about some of the big games this weekend. It's not as great of a weekend, at least on paper, as it was last weekend, but still some really good games this weekend that we'll dive into tomorrow. So, Ryan, what I want to do next is I want to talk about the UNLV Running Rebels. And this is a football team that is four and three. And uh, they have obviously – they had a very close loss to Cal at the beginning of the year. So that was the first time that we got a chance to watch UNLV play. Uh, Ryan and I got the chance to break down their film was when they played Cal. Cal beat them 20-14. to 14. This is a program that's been struggling for a while, Ryan, and, and it's it's been kind of interesting. There's a couple hires they made that I thought would really work. I thought that I thought you know when they hired Tony Sanchez from Bishop Gorman, I thought, hey, he's going to re- at least recruit well. And yep. they went between three and nine and five and seven in his five years, four and eight, three different seasons. When they hired Bobby Halk away from Montana, I thought that was going to be a great hire. He did great things at Montana. He struggled. He won. He was there five years. He won two games in four of his five years. In year four, it looked like they were progressing. They went seven and six, and then bam, right back down to uh, two and eleven in his final year. And 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 he got fired. And then Sanchez replaced him. So when you look at it, Ryan, they went through a stretch of and and of course the coach before that was a name that a lot of Notre Dame fans will remember is Mike Sanford Senior who was a former Notre Dame assistant, and he had his issues as well. So in 05, so you look at it from 05, Mike Sanford was there for five years, and he had three two-win seasons and two five-win seasons. He was replaced by Bobby Houck, who was there five years. He had four two-win seasons and one seven-win season. So what is that, Ryan? That's seven two-win seasons so far, right? Yes. Then Tony Sanchez replaced them. He was actually better. He had no two-win seasons, He was, but he, he didn't have the one good season. He was between three wins and five wins. He had three years of four wins. Marcus Arroyo in his first year was the COVID year. They went 0-6 in his uh, second season. Last year, they went 2-10. And 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 one thing that you and I talked about, I think it was you and I, it might have been me and Vince during the offseason, was if you look at their 2-10 record, it was a little misleading. 
Now, mm-hmm. again, you are what your record says you are, but it wasn't like past seasons. They lost an overtime to Eastern Washington, who was a, a, a really good FCS team. Then they lost back-to-back games uh, to Arizona State and Iowa State. Then they lost to Fresno by only eight points. Fresno was a real good football team. I remember watching that game last year, Ryan, and UNLV gave Fresno everything that they could handle in that game last year. Then they lose the next week to Texas San Antonio by a touchdown. Texas San Antonio was a really good football team last year. Uh, yep. Didn't they win what? Didn't they win like 11, like 11, 12 Something games like last that. year? And with 12 and two last year, UNLV mm-hmm. lost to by a touchdown. Uh, then they played Utah State again, another really good football team last year. Utah State was an eleven-win team last year. They lost by or four points. Uh, then they lost to uh, U, U, San Jose State by seven points. Then they got blown out by Nevada. They beat New Mexico and Hawaii. They lost to a ranked San Diego State team by eight points. They had a lot of games where they were really competitive. This year, they're kind of turning that around. And some of those games that they were losing, they're now winning. Uh, for example, they were losing to New Mexico at halftime rallied back and and got the W. So they're by they're not a finished product by any stretch, but he's only in this is really to me only his second year for me. I mean, yeah. any coach that was hired during the COVID year gets a pass on that year because you couldn't practice. You know, you couldn't go on the road recruiting, you couldn't establish your program. His first year to me was 2021. They were 2 and 10 but a competitive 2 and 10. This year they've come around and turned the corner and they're 4 and 3. And you know, their schedule sets up Ryan to me with an opportunity, I mean this this game. Hopefully, Notre Dame can win this game, but they've got some opportunities down the stretch to be be a bowl team this year. You've got at San Diego State, who's, I mean, that won't struggling. be an easy win by any stretch, but they're struggling. You know, they're yeah. three and three. They they recently beat Hawaii. They do have a nice one over Toledo, but they've got blown out by Boise, blown out by Utah, blown out by Arizona. You know, they're struggling a little bit. You got Fresno, who's struggling without Jake Hayner. Uh, Hawaii is really bad. I mean, they're really bad. Uh, so you've got Fresno, who's two and four, although they're coming off a big upset win over over San Jose State. I still can't believe they won that game. Hawaii's two and five. Their wins are over Duquesne, FCS team, and Nevada, who's really not good. And then their last game is against Nevada, who's two and five also. So there's a great opportunity here for Coach Arroyo and his football team to really show something. And you know, they if they can play Notre Dame tough. Again, we're looking at this from UNLV standpoint. If they can play Notre Dame tough, you say, look, we played Cal and we played them down to the wire. We went to Notre Dame. Yeah, they beat us, but, you know, we were competitive. And then you can go out and maybe win, you know, three of their last four games or four of their, you know, th- two, even if they go two and two down the stretch, they're six and six and in a bowl game. But if they can't, they can maybe go three and one. All of a sudden you're seven and five. Since 05, they've had one season where they want, they had a winning record. And that was in Bobby Houck's tenure, who was like two coaches ago, right? A lot of two-win seasons. If you can go show, hey, look, we're we're here, that could be huge for them because in this era of the transfer portal, you if you're a team like San Jose State or UNLV or Marshall, you want to establish yourself as the program to go to if you're leaving another big-time program. Hey, you're not happy at USC? Like San Jose State has Chase Williams. Remember him? He mm-hmm. was a big time recruit. Played at you played a lot at USC. He he, I think he got did he get kicked out of school or did he just transfer? I can't remember. I'm not sure. But he's at San Jose State playing now. You see Ricky White, who's a transfer from Michigan State, who's playing at UNLV. So this is a big season for Coach Arroyo because if he can establish himself as, hey, we know how to coach. Our kids play hard, which they do. Ryan, I mean, we, you and I were talking about this even in the 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 San Jose State game. You know, Jacob Brumfield or Doug. I won't say Jacob Brumfield. Doug Brumfield gets knocked out of the game early. 
and yet they kept battling. You know, they played hard. They got blown out, but they never quit, I didn't think. I thought they played hard, really, for four quarters. I thought that was impressive to me. That showed me a little something about the just the job he's doing there. Uh, but then also, you know, they've, they've won some other tough, hard-fought games. So I like the job he's doing. If they can have a strong finish to this season, they can make themselves as one of the destination programs for kids who are looking to leave and go to a smaller school and have a chance to play. And that that this is a great this is the perfect time for him to have this kind of year, uh, because look, you're not going to build it through high school recruiting, right? I mean, you're you, you, that's to a certain degree that's there, but if you really want to ascend as a program like UNOV, you're going to need transfers, mm-hmm. and this is the kind of year where you can establish that. And so I, I like what they're doing right now, Ryan. Oh no, I really like what the Royals doing. I mean, to your point, they have one winning season, and that was a seven and six record in the last seventeen years, right? I mean, that right. that's. That's the right. proof, right? Like, I mean, Marcus Arroyo walked into a really tough situation, and it's – Brian, they, this is the best UNLV team I've seen in probably my lifetime, if I'm being honest. Like, I can't remember a team. I'm sure there was probably a team in, like, the 90s that was a lot better than – and I didn't remember them at that point. But this is a talented team. And to your point, like, they play in, they play in Nevada, right? They play in Las Vegas. Like, I have to think that that is attractive to some people that want to kind of come there as a second-chance opportunity or even – on the high school route. Like I would think that that would be a little bit of an attractive destination. So I think they have a chance to, to, to become kind of a, an ascending team, right? Like they should not be competitive against Notre Dame, but what they have a chance to is right. show like, Hey, we're, we're getting better, man. Like we're, we're on the right track here. And like you said, they got a couple talented kids that are transfers, man. Ricky white from Michigan state. Aiden Robbins was at Louisville. Originally the running back and the, quarterback's talented. I know we're going to get into him a little more in depthly, but there's some talent on this UNLV team, man. It's a lot more talented than I think a typical UNLV team has been in recent years. And that's the thing we're trying to do here is we're not, we're not at the point yet where we're, we're talking about the matchup right now. We're simply talking about this is who UNLV is. We're just giving you an overview of who UNLV is and UNLV is doing some really nice things this year. And, and Marcus Royal is doing some nice things. He came from Oregon, obviously, you know, he's got a good track record there. So I, I like I said, I, I like the job he's doing. He was at Oregon from 17 to 19 before he took over at UNLV. He was at Oklahoma State in 15 and 16 on some on some decent offenses. He was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a quarterbacks coach the year before that. He was at Cal in 2011 and 12 as a quarterbacks coach. That would have been under Jeff Tedford. So he he learned some there, and then he played quarterback at San Jose State. So he's an offensive-minded guy, but they they are not what you typically expect from an offensive-minded coach. They are they they're tough, they're physical, they're not they're just the problem is they're just not real talented on defense. That's their problem right now. And yep. they're not really good up front on the offensive side of the ball. But this is a team that's well coached, well schemed, and they battle. And, and I think that's what makes them dangerous. And they've taken advantage of some transfers, you know, as, as we talked about as well. So Ryan, let's begin with just sort of an overview of of who UNLV is. Obviously, we talked about uh, what we what we see from them, big picture. But statistically, you know, they're they're a decent team. You know, offense is really their bread and butter this year. They rank second in the Mountain West in scoring offense at twenty nine points per game. They are third in the conference at five point seven yards per play on offense. Their rushing numbers are not good. They're only averaging 136 rushing yards per game so far this season, but they've had some good rushing games. They can be dangerous running the football, yep. uh, but they're, they're just, they're often, as we said, their offensive line's not great, but they've had a couple good performances. They ran for a bunch of yards against North Texas. Who's not very good. 
but they they struggle to run the football traditionally. Although I do like their backs, they've got a couple nice backs. Their offensive line, I said, just struggles. They're third in the conference in passing yards, third in the conference in yards per attempt, third in the conference in yards per completion, and second in the conference in quarterback rating. And that was with uh, Doug Brumfield getting knocked out. Uh, like He was like one of six against San Jose State before he got knocked out. And then he missed last week's game against Air Force, which was also a blowout loss. But not having him takes a lot away from that offense. And then they are first in the conference in red zone touchdown percentage. Defensively, different story. Eighth in scoring at 27.7 per game. Uh, fifth in the conference in yards per game. Sixth in yards per play. There are 12 teams in the Mountain West. Uh, sixth in rushing yards allowed, fourth in yards per attempt, seventh in passing yards allowed, 11th in yards per attempt allowed, ninth in yards per completion, 12.6, uh, 10th in rating. They are good in third and third down in red zone, though. Uh, they're third in, in the conference in third down defense and fourth in the conference in red zone touchdown. Uh, they're fourth in turnovers lost and third in turnovers gained. They've actually forced 12 turnovers so far this year in seven games, which isn't bad. So, again, decent football team a team that you can't just go in and think you're just going to roll. This isn't New Mexico from 2019. I mean, that that was a bad Mountain West team. This is a quality Mountain West team and a team you're going to be prepared for and, and be ready to handle because they've got some of the things that can give Notre Dame problems, mainly they've got a really good quarterback who is a run, who's a dual threat guy. And I think when you talk about what makes UNLV potentially dangerous for a Notre Dame team who's been so inconsistent – it starts right there with Doug Brumfield, who they do expect back for this game, by the way, after missing most of the last two games. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about that Air Force game, Brian, like that was a lopsided affair, but the big reason was that Doug Brumfield didn't play in that game. Like we've seen him. I mean, the kid up to this point has thrown eight touchdowns, only two interceptions, completed 68% of his passes. He's a run threat. I mean, against North Texas, again, not a great team, but he ran 12 times for 100 yards in that football game, right? So this kid is a 6'5". 225 pound kid, lefty. He's got a really strong arm, man. He's got a little, he's got a whip for an arm, right? Like he creates some easy velocity. He's a good overall athlete. I mean, and I think that he he has to manage chaos a little better because he has a lot of practice at it because the offensive line's not great. I like I like Davion McDaniel at left tackle. I think he's a pretty solid football player, but otherwise the offensive line is just not great. But Doug Brumfield, you can see it, man whether off of the RPO game, off the screen game, or just working intermediate, you know, it crossers, he is, he's got a whip, man. Like the ball comes out pretty fast for, for what I would call a little bit of a looping motion as well, but live arm, good athlete. He's a dangerous kid, man. Cause we've seen to your point, Brian, Notre Dame has struggled at times against guys that can be, that can kind of extend things, right? Pick up some first downs with their legs, that type of thing. And, I think that Brumfield brings that to the game and him back for for UNLV after dealing with concussion the last week and a half. I, I think that it's big time for them because he is a extremely talented player. One of the more talented God gifted quarterbacks on the schedule for Notre Dame. Is he the best? No, obviously CJ Stroud and yeah. Caleb Williams and that those right. guys are on the on, on the schedule, right? But it was as far as just size, athleticism, arm strength. Doug Brumfield is a very talented kid and a very quality quarterback for his level. Well, I would say he, from just a pure God-given talent standpoint, he's definitely in the top five of who Notre Dame's going to face this year. And that's impressive when you consider the quarterbacks Notre Dame's going to play this year. You know, this this has been a very quarterback-dominant season. 
uh, yep. for Notre Dame. And in top five, I mean, look, you're talking about C.J. Stroud, who's a potential number one overall draft pick. You're talking about Caleb Williams, who some people think might be the number one overall draft pick the next year. You've got yep. D.J. Uwe Ungalale, who is a former five-star pick player. I never – I just can't roll my tongue like that. Uh, I mean, no disrespect to DJ on that one. You've got Phil Dracovic. You've got Tanner McKee. You've got Jaron Hall. I mean, yeah. they've played some good qu- – oh, I'm sorry, Drake May. You know what yeah, I mean? So, like, player. he's in that yeah. – co- I should say he's in the conversation for top five. And Garrett Schroeder's played really well for Syracuse so far this year. So, they've yeah. played some really good quarterbacks so far, and they play some really good quarterbacks down the stretch. And Doug Brumfield is the kind of kid that if you overlook UNLV – he can hurt you because the one thing he can do that you know Marshall's quarterback couldn't do is he can throw it over your head because he's got yeah. a, he's got a really nice downfield arm. You know he can play action you and if your safeties don't respect it or your corners lose a step, he can throw it over your head like Drake May could, like Tanner McKee could, and and so you're going to have to pressure him because the one thing I'll say about him, Ryan, when you look at Doug Brumfield, he's not the most accurate kid if he gets off off like out of his mechanics at all. If he's thrown yeah. in rhythm and he's got a clean pocket, he's a really accurate quarterback. When he gets into situations where you can pressure him, I mean, he's just he's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, he came into this this season with 60 career passes, right? I mean, he was a 43% passer uh, his last two years. He'd thrown two touchdowns and one pick. So he hadn't played a whole lot of football till this year. Now he's jumped up to 68% this year. Uh, and he's had th- uh, three games over 70% against New Mexico, against North Texas, and against Ute- Idaho State. And he was 54.5% against California, who we have said has a good defense. He was struggling against San Jose State before getting knocked out. But he has been a good football player this year, Ryan. I, I, I like what this kid can do. But if you can get any kind of pressure on him at all, he will be inaccurate. And that's mm-hmm. going to be a big key. You can force him into bad decisions. You can force him into misses. I mean, even as simple as I'm trying to remember which game it was, but he had a just a little outcut and he got a little bit of pocket pushback and he tries to throw it out to the flats and he just throw it's like three feet over the kid's head, right? Air so if you can it, get yeah. him out of rhythm, you can cause him to misses. But if he gets comfortable in the pocket, he can number one, he can he can throw it over your head. He can hurt you over the middle. He can make some of those tough NFL type of throws that that can give you problems. But he's also a kid that if you don't have if you don't keep contain, like Tanner McKee wasn't a real mobile quarterback, and they even let him get out of the pocket a couple times. This is the kind of kid you let get out of the pocket. He can hurt you bad. And I think that's yep. that even more than the big arm. That's the part that concerns me the most. If I'm Notre Dame, is letting him turn a third nine into a first down because you lose contain and he takes off running. He's one of the more mobile quarterbacks that they're going to face this year. He's got, what, five rushing touchdowns so far this year? Yeah. The reason his rushing numbers don't look better, Ryan, he's got uh, – let me see here. I think it's like 165, 137 rushing yards on five carries, and 100 of those yards came in a game over uh, North uh, North Texas. He rushed for 100 yards. The reason yep. it's not more than that is Utah's – I mean, uh, UNLV has given up 20 sacks this year already. Whew. And so they give up – so he's lost a lot of yards on on – sacks as well but this is a kid that can hurt you with his arm with his legs and being a lefty gives you some weird funky dynamics that you know you're not used to like all of a sudden the guy's rolling out to his left in the past like yeah no big deal now it's like he can yank one down the field so uh, he's a kid that presents problems and they've got some they've got some talent on the perimeter they got some guys can beat you in space if you don't tackle well ricky white's a good football player uh Seneca Seneca McKee is a good football player they've got some weapons he's got some weapons to throw to as well Ryan and that's another thing that makes this team 
It makes his teams dangerous. They they don't have the big guys like Stanford just had. They're more speed, catch and run type of players, yep. you know. And so, and he'll spread the ball around. They've got. I'm looking at this here. They've got eight different players. I was looking at this today, right? Eight different players have caught at least ten passes this year. Nice. So that that yeah, that's impressive, right? That's impressive. I like seeing that. So uh, Ricky White's a transfer from Michigan State. He's a good football player. Kyle Williams. Uh, is another mm-hmm. kid that that is uh, you know has been very productive for them. He's played a lot of football. He's got over a thousand career yards. He's a six foot guy. Ricky White, six one. Uh, like I said, Seneca McKee is a, is a good football player. Uh, Nick Williams, Jeff Weimer, their top five their top five pass catchers are all receivers. Uh, and yep. of that group, uh, really, Nick Williams is the only one that has really the kind of size that could be a problematic for. You. He's like a six five, six four, two hundred fifteen, two hundred twenty pound kid. Outside of that, most of those guys are six foot to six two, you know, good players with some decent, just decent skill, and they know how to get open. So, and and they scheme well too, Ryan. Their run game is very diverse inside out. They do a lot of quarterback read. They'll run screens. They'll play action down the field. It, this is a this is a fun offense to break down. Like you can see what Coach Arroyo is trying to build there. And if he can get some more weapons, this if he can get a better line, I should say, this offense has a chance to be one of the two or three best in the mountain. I mean, it's already one of the two or three best in the mountain West this year, but it's a bad year for offense in the mountain West. He like traditional mountain West when they had teams that were scoring 38 to 40 points a game, he's got a chance to build that kind of offense. If they can just get better, get better line play. And that's really the thing that drags this offense down right now. Yeah. And they, they, they know what they do well, right. From a wide receiver perspective, like they, they have, a, they have some space players, man. I mean, you mentioned Kyle Williams. I think he's a good football player, but I mean, Ricky white, I mean, Brian, like people forget when Ricky white was at Michigan state, he had a game at Michigan state where he had like eight catches for 197 yards while he was at Michigan state. So like this kid was a big 10 caliber football player who just so happens to now be at UNLV. Like he's a talented kid, man. Six, one 195 pounds against Michigan, he, by the way. It was against yeah, Michigan. I mean, it was a crazy right. game, man. And I was, I, I, I didn't know what ever happened to him. And I'm like, oh, he plays for UNLV. He's a really good football player now for them. But it's, he does a lot of different things really well. You know, like he understands how to manipulate space. He works in the screen game and a re- really underrated after catch player for UNLV, man. Like he'll kind of, he, he's, I wouldn't call him like the most dynamic as far as like straight line speed, but he understands space, right? Like he understands how to, get in and out, work in the middle of the field, do all that type of stuff, and just create some yards after after the catch. So I really like Ricky White. You mentioned Kyle Williams. There's a few other wide receivers that are talented players. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, again, I just don't want people to underrate like it's UNLV. Like they have a kid that sure. literally had some impact at Michigan State. So it's not like they don't have right, kids, in the right? right? Exactly. And, and, again, we're not saying, oh, Notre Dame's going to lose. If Notre Dame plays yeah. their game, this will not be a close game. I mean, they just lost blowout losses to San Jose State and Air Force. And I know Doug Brumford, Doug Brumfield wasn't in the game, but it, it's not a 35-point difference, right? This is a game you should win. All we're saying is, as we always do, and some people don't understand this, is we're going to give you an honest assessment of the opposing team and what they're good at in the areas that they're not good at. So offensively, this is a good football team. I really – I re- I, you know, and I don't know why, but I've always wanted UNLV to be good in football. I, and I don't quite understand. I mean, maybe it's because as a kid, I grew up watching the running rebels and basketball. And I just think it'd be cool to have a good football team in Vegas. I don't, I don't, maybe yeah. that's it. <laughs> but like, I remember when, remember when Jason, remember when Jason Thomas went there, he was like a big time quarterback. I think he went to, yeah. started off at USC or was going to go to USC, ended up there, ended up not 
really talented kid. Ended up not really panning out because his team wasn't very good. And I really thought when Tony Sanchez got there, do you remember how good he was at Bishop Gorman? I mean, he had Bishop Gorman rolling, and he he couldn't yeah. get the job done, and he, he had his he own a, struggles. Sanchez got like a couple of his offensive linemen, I remember, from Bishop Gorman yeah. to come over there too. That, that's what I, I was actually pretty – optimistic with that hire as well brian because i thought that also he could tap into the recruiting base a little bit right. in nevada and the surrounding states you know but fortunately it didn't happen for coach sanchez but right so we'll see if marcus Arroyo can be that guy and then how long can they keep him here and and help him to build that so that'll be interesting too my hope is that it is a, as a mountain west guy he played in the mountain west maybe there's a passion for staying in the conference and, and building it up we'll, we'll have to find out about that so Yep. Where where UNLV has struggled, Ryan, when they do struggle this year, is defensively. But <laughs> there's a to me, and, and I know there's a couple guys that you're going to talk about here, and we'll start off with the D line here in a second. But just structurally, they are a three three five team defensively, and and it's kind of fits their conference. What I like about what they do out of that three three five is they can easily walk up and have a five five guys on the line of scrimmage. They'll do a lot of different things. Yep. Where they'll bring linebackers and sometimes even safeties down into that window. So they're not like a just a three three five stack all game like you see used to see in the Big Twelve a lot. They're yep. a three three five, but I would say they're more they're closer to what how Marcus Freeman was at Cincinnati than what the three three fives are the Big Twelve in that they can easily get to a four down front in their base personnel. Yep, and, and they play a lot of man coverage on the outside, a lot of man coverage. And I think that's an area where they've kind of had their issues is they can get ripped up in the pass game. But they're they're schemed relatively well, I think. I actually like what they do schematically defensively. The difference is they just don't have the athletes and the players across yeah. the board that they have mm-hmm. on offense. But I know there's a couple guys you like, Ryan, starting off with the the, the defensive end. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, there's there's two guys I like in the front seven. To your point, Brian, the, the problem with it is that there's not depth in the front seven. And then I really I honestly didn't see anybody in the secondary that I thought was anything more than just a okay player in their conference, right? But Adam Plant Jr. is the first guy that really popped to me. Where's number seven for UNLV? And he reminds me, I mean, stylistically talking about like he he reminds me a little bit of what makes Isaiah Foskey so successful when he's playing well, right? Like they're both about 6'5", 260 pounds. He wears number seven as well. So like that comparison kind of works a little bit, but he's a speed to power kid, right? Like he is, he's not the bendiest guy in the world, but he's got good straight line speed, good explosiveness, and he's got power profile. So if an offensive tackle is a little light in their set or they're, you know, on their heels a little bit, he can take advantage of you because he has a little bit of power, right? So he's a good football player. He's finally starting to put it together. He's had some production over the last couple of years, but this year he's tackle for loss numbers are up comparative to where it is usually at the season. The sack numbers are a little bit up. So Adam Plant's a good player and he's, he's a Bishop Gorman kid. So he's one of the kids that stayed in state and has done a good job for UNLV during the course of his career and a player that's on NFL radars. The, the other guy is Austin Aliak. I believe is how you pronounce it. He's the linebacker 
He is number 27. And he, so he's a, I mean, Brian, he looks a lot more like a safety to me than a linebacker. He's listed at like 6'2", 220 pounds. I would question if he's actually a legit 220 pounds, but crazy stat for him. Yes. He, ha- he, he leads the team with 80 tackles on the year and eight tackles for loss in seven games. The next closest tackle to, um, tackle number, total tackles, is 35 on the year. So he is their leading tackler by 45 has- tackles. Not only does he have eight tackles for loss, Ryan, he has three sacks and two picks. Yep. This yep. kid makes a lot of plays. This kid makes a lot of plays in the football. He's very rangy. I re- yes. This is – you talk about Plant. You've watched more film of them than I have. When mm-hmm. I've watched them, he's the kid that's really stood, stood out to me. as like, you know, this kid can make plays. Again, he's a Mountain West kid. He's, that, he's in the conference he should be in, right? Yep. But – he is a very active, rangy linebacker that that just has a nose for the ball. I mean, now like part of his numbers are due to the fact he has more assisted tackles than solo tackles, right? He's got 32 assisted tackle or solo tackles. He's got eight, 48, I believe, uh, total tackles in, in, on the season. So that obviously helps. But even then, he's still 12 solo tackles ahead of anybody else. But the assisted tackles tells me that this kid is always around the ball. If he's not the first man in, he's the second man in. The fact he's got eight tackles for loss, they will they will shoot him. They will bring him off the edge. They'll shoot him in the gaps. He's very rangy in coverage. You can get up underneath in cuts. If you don't, if you don't watch yourself, you can think you can throw it over him, and then he'll drop and get up underneath football. So this kid is the one that flashed the most for me. Those two kids more yep. than anybody. And then they had a nose guard, and I I couldn't tell the his name because I didn't I didn't honestly look it up because I couldn't see his number. They have some wick wick wacky uniforms it makes it hard to see numbers and so but they have enough they have this really short i think it's darius johnson i think is who it is but this really short squatty nose tackle that that just fires off the ball man like and he he doesn't have any kind of moves he's just a boom just attacking gaps those are really the only three guys for me that flashed once you get away from them there's to me a bit of a drop off and yep. what they have, and I think the secondary aspect. They're actually not terrible in the front seven. They they, they have some good yeah. football players in the front seven. It's the secondary where they have some major issues. And when you're a team that plays five DBs at a time, that's a it's almost half your lineup. That's not a, that's 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 there been their issue this year. Yeah, it's not a place you want to be. I mean, it's to your point. I think there are two very quality players in the front seven, but there's just not enough of them, right? Like if you right. had two to three Adam Plants and two to three Aliox, then you're 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 cooking a little bit, right? Like then you're then you're looking like, oh, well, you might have one of the best defenses in the in the conference if you're UNLV. But they had those two, and there just isn't a ton of talent right now in the defensive backfield. Like that's a spot for me if I'm Marcus Arroyo and I'm the recruiting staff at UNLV and the assistant coaches, like I need to upgrade the secondary moving forward. Because traditionally it's, it is a down year this year, as far as what the offenses look like. You think of like Nevada, obviously lost Jay Norvell. They've been big down this year offensively. Fresno state's been down with the Jake Hayner injury. Usually there's more quality offenses in the, in the mountain West this year. It's taking a step down. And if you are able to get more talent in the secondary, then you have a chance to, to run the table a little bit in the Mountain West if you're UNLV because there's definitely some offensive talent. There's going to be a lot of guys coming back next year that you feel really excited about offensively. And if you start getting it figured out in the secondary, then you're you start going from a promising ascending team to a, a good football team, right? Like that's kind of the ascension that you potentially make. But I agree, Brian. There's a couple of nice players defensively. 
just not enough of them right now for you. Yeah, there's just too big of a gap. I mean, that's the thing yeah. for me. There's just too big of a gap between their top, you know, maybe three or four kids and then everybody else. And they just don't have the depth of production. Like receiver, I mean, there's five kids that can hurt you. You know, if you don't, if you don't, I mean, they don't have that kind of thing on defense. And so as they hit the transfer portal this offseason, that's position numero uno if I'm if I'm Marcus Arroyo on the staff. Like, look, any grad trans, any, any defensive back that hits the transfer portal, we're looking at. I mean, we're going to yep. look at so uh, they they I, I like what they're doing I really do I like what they're doing and, and I hopefully they can finish strong that's going to be a big key and and you hope that Notre Dame is able to handle business against them but then you hope they come out of that game you know ready to go finish strong against really four beatable teams right and you just got to you got to win two of them to be bowl eligible and if you can win three of them you really lock yourself into a bowl game because it's not a given that a six and six team makes a bowl game Although last year we saw a five and seventeen make a bowl game because there weren't enough bowl eligible teams, but it, it varies year from don't, year. Don't, don't don't throw shade at Rutgers like that. All right, yeah. Let them be. I, I, just simply <laughs> making a statement of fact that a five and seventeen made a bowl game last year. It's yep. it, you know a lot of people say, oh, I don't like how many bowls that are. I do, I, I because it's good for teams like that to get that. Because I remember remember Urban Meyer's first year Bowling Green was it oh two oh one oh two. They went eight and three and didn't make a bowl game. Crazy. I mean, if you're a six and six Mac team now, you're probably making a bowl game. And I think that's good for those programs and good for those teams. It gives them the extra practice. It's lets those kids experience a bowl environment. They get to go to some place. Maybe a lot of them haven't traveled a ton. So I, I like the fact there's a lot of bowl games. You know, it, I, again, you may not want to watch it. That's fine, whatever. But it's good for the kids. And that, again, this is what college football should be about. It should be player focused and those kind of things. Are we doing things to make their experience better? And I think having a lot of bowl games does that. And I just wish the network that carried all those bowl games would stop talking down all those bowl games. That'd be nice, right? But, you know, that might be asking a little bit too much. So um, I really do I really do like what, what Marcus Rowe is doing. Now, should let's talk a little bit about the matchup. Should this be a game that Notre Dame struggles? No, it shouldn't. I'm just being honest. We can respect UNLV and still say, but if Notre Dame plays like they did against – Ohio State, if they play like they did against Cal in the second half, against North Carolina, BYU, then no, this should not be a competitive football game. But what we are saying is if they play like they did in the first half against Cal or against Marshall or against Stanford, this is a team that can give you some problems. And you know, it's an interesting game too, Ryan, because to a degree it's a good get-right type of game for Notre Dame because this isn't New Mexico where you can play bad and still win 66-10. to 10 which is, I believe, wasn't that the final score of the New Mexico game? In, in Something like that. In 2019. See, this is us going to bother me now. I, I think I'm right on that, but let me just go look. 66 to 14 was the final of that game. And Notre Dame didn't really play that well. At least on offense, they didn't play that well. You know, because one of the touchdowns, remember Carl Hamilton had a pick six on a, a ball that, that Dalen Hayes tipped. You know, they had some silly plays. You're like, dude, that doesn't work against anybody that's decent. This is not that. In that same year, they blew out BYU, Bowling Green, excuse me. This is not that. But this is a team that you you if you play well, you'll win convincingly, but you've got to chat, you, you're gonna be challenged. So if you do come out and play really well and, and just light them up, it's a good sign. You know, and if you are able to shut down their offense, it's a good sign because this is a quality offense with with some NFL-ish type of players, right? Would Agreed. you say that's fair, Ryan? Yes. So very fair. I, I think that's the kind of get right game you want to have is you know, they're off their defense is not very good. They're not real talented on the secondary. 
you want to see Notre Dame come out and say, okay, let's take it. We Two things are true right now. Notre Dame needs to do more to get their receivers more involved in the game, and you're playing a BYU defense with a not very good secondary that plays a lot of man coverage. It's going to give you some looks that should allow you to, to make some big plays with your wide receivers. So it's a great opportunity there. The question is, is Notre Dame going to take advantage, or are they just going to come out and run it down their throat and win just because they have better players? That's the concern that you have. Notre Dame can win this game just by coming out and running it down UNLV's throat, and there's not a lot they can do about it. You know, there's just not. I mean, UNLV's rush defense actually has good numbers on the season or decent numbers on the season. The problem is, Ryan, is is they've shut down teams that aren't really good at running the football. When they've played anybody with a with a good ground attack, they've they've struggled a little bit. You know, they shut down Cal. North Texas ran okay on them, but the last two weeks against San Jose State, they gave up 203 yards, and the Air Force ripped them up for 406 yards. So their their rush defense isn't terrible, but they can get they're just they're not real big. You can kind of push them around. I don't mm-hmm. want Notre Dame to just come out and do that all game and win that way. Yes, run the ball on them. That's who you are. I want to see Notre Dame run for 200-plus yards, but don't just bully them. It's like what we said in other games. Don't just bully them. Come out and build on what you need to build on to get ready for Syracuse and, and, and Clemson. So get your receivers involved. Be aggressive. Attack down the field because this is a mindset game for Notre Dame, not just a go get a W. It's got to be a mindset game for Notre Dame where, hey, we've got to restore our confidence. We've got to get – you know, we've got to get – if you're not going to beat Clemson and USC, if you don't get more from Lorenzo Styles and Braden Lindsay, you're just not. And you're not getting a lot from them because more because of what you're doing than what they're doing. But even with Lorenzo, it's just, he just hadn't seemed right mentally. This is a great yeah. opportunity to get him going, get Braden Lindsay going, get Tobias Merriweather and Deion Colsey more involved in the game plan. So that way those guys have the experience when you need them against Syracuse, Clemson, BC, USC, They've got that burn under their belt, and they've got their confidence up. And so I think that's important. It doesn't mean you got to throw it 45 times, but you got to do some stuff to say we are looking to get our receivers the balls, the ball in this game. I don't care if Michael Mayer can go for 10 catches, 140 yards against UNLV. Don't care. You know yeah. you can beat my, you, you. You know what Michael Mayer can do. This is a game where you've got to do some things schematically to make sure that you get your receivers going. That's a very important part of this game for me, for Notre Dame. And this is the kind of defense that's good for that in my opinion. Yeah. Because even the bad teams you've played, Brian, or, or less talented teams, I shouldn't call them bad teams because they beat Notre Dame, right? So like, we should call it bad. <laughs> it can't be bad. Like you think about Marshall, right? Like they had a couple talented corners, like Stephen Gilmore, good football player, going to get an NFL look. You even think about Stanford last week, although the secondary is not great. I mean, it's Caillou Blue Kelly's an NFL-level cornerback, you know? like. But when you're talking about UNLV, they don't have – anybody that should be able to just go, I'm locking down Lorenzo Styles. They don't have a person there, man. They just don't. They don't have that guy. So again, we, we've we've had the red flag uh, the uh, the alert out a lot this year, right? The siren's been out if if something happens in a certain game. If Notre Dame leaves this game and the wide receivers don't have an impact, that siren is going off, man. It's going off because they just don't have a corner on this team that you're like that guy could present problems. Like even in the yeah. bad pass defenses we've seen Notre Dame play over the season, I feel like every team still had a good player. You know, like at least right. one good player that's like an NFL caliber ish type of football player, or an, just a flat out an NFL player. In this one, UNLV does not have a kid in the secondary that you say should give Notre Dame any problems. They just don't have it, and. I agree. So even micro level from the get right game, this is a get right game for the wide receivers, man. If it's not going to happen this week, 
it's probably not going to happen this season if we're being honest, right? Like this right. is the seat. This is the week. It has to happen. It has to. Yeah. And it has to be forced, Ryan. That's the thing. You have to force the issue. I mean, you again, you could go out and beat UNLV without doing that. But it's not just about beating UNLV. It's also about building your team up. And, and you've got to get – Drew needs a game and he gets his confidence back, number one. Yes. And you've got to build up your confidence and your faith in your receivers. And, and it's not just by throwing a post route in the fourth quarter. You've got to do things where you come out right away – like, I mean, the best thing you can do to get your receivers involved is, you know, stop being like the only non-triple option team in America that doesn't use RPOs. I mean, freaking Stanford uses RPOs. You know what I mean? Yep. So I think that's a big part of it. But then just do some things schematically that allow you to have success getting those guys going. I think that's a big key for this game because, as we've said many, many times, this is the kind of team that you can get right on. Other side of the I, ball. I'm I was going go to say, Brian, I, th- I think that Notre Dame should maybe watch some UNLV offensive film a little more in-depthly this this week. Uh, could you imagine if Notre Dame yeah. ran their offense, man, like just how they use the RPO game, the screen game? It'd be a lot more successful. But they run this another, play. Yeah. It's a really cool yeah. play, right? And they've had some success with it where they have their blockers and the tight end and the running back, and they kind of work like outside, almost like they're zone blocking outside, and they actually run outside of the tackle. Can you believe that? Like, how cool is that? They call that it something allowed? like outside zone or something like that, I think is what they call it. Um, yeah, but I, I Bri- apparently Brian's, that's allowed. Yeah. Brian's being sarcastic for people out there that haven't yes. caught it yet. Haven't caught it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, no, really? I mean, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff like that. They, they And that's kind of what we were going to – what I was going to go to next, Ryan, is this is also a game where we're going to learn if they have done things to get the linebacker play better, because this is the type of mm-hmm. offense can really stress out your linebackers. If you're not disciplined or if you got too much on your plate, they do a lot of things to change your eye, you know, to mess with your eye discipline, right? They do a lot of, they'll run power read, they'll run outside zone, they'll run read zone, they'll run play action out of their shotgun. They do a lot of things to try to manipulate the linebackers and get them to bite down or go one direction as they pull and go a different direction. If the linebackers play a good game this week, Ryan, it's going to tell me, well, first of all, they need to to shut this team down, but it's also going to tell me that they have taken the steps they need to in order to right the ship because shutting down UNLV is not something that you just assume should happen. You've got to execute it. Now, Cal did a nice job of it. San Jose State and Air Force did a nice job of it, but they did it without Brumfield being in the game. Yep. You know, and 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 so and Cal, as we've said, Cal has a pretty good defense. We we've been saying this since the offseason. Cal has a pretty good defense. So I want to see them come out and really shut them down, which they should, but you're gonna have to get your linebackers to play well. So if Notre Dame's defensive line can just do a good job, the linebackers should be successful. And if they are, it's a good step because it tells me that the linebackers are maybe finally taking that step to, to getting themselves right. Because this is the kind of team just schematically that can give a, a group of linebackers that are a little bit undisciplined and not overly productive some some problems. So it's a good test. Yeah, I mean, because you have, I mean, think about it. You have Aiden Robbins, who we talked about a little bit, right? The running back who's their leading rusher over 500 yards. He's a former Louisville transfer and, and not only is he a pretty good downhill runner, I mean, he's also 6'3", 230 pounds, right? So, like, your second-level defenders need to bring their lunch pail in general because he's a bigger back. And then we've already talked extensively about the fact that Doug Brumfield is going to try to take advantage of his athletic gifts when he has opportunities against your second and third level. Like, he's going to try to do that because he has that ability to 
run some zone read. He has the ability to work out of structure. He has the ability to extend the football as a runner. So linebackers need to play well in this game, man, because how ULV operates, Brian, for me, is like, yes, they want to throw the football, but at the core, they want to get Aiden Robbins going downhill, and they want right. to use Doug Brumfield to get out of structure a They want to like be a those balanced guys football running team. Threats. Right. Exactly. They want to be a exactly. balanced football team. They've had to be more pass-reliant at times because they just haven't always been able to get their run game going. But yes. And that's the thing is you can't allow that to happen. You can't – and they're going to – and look, here's the thing, too, is UNLV knows we don't have the dudes up front to just go out and run our offense against Notre Dame. So they're going to mm-hmm. do some stuff to mess with you. They did a – and it, it worked for a big play. Did you see the play against San or against San Jose where they ran a uh, they ran a, a sweep, reverse, mm-hmm. flea flicker, bomb? I think that was the one that Seneca McKee, Seneca McKee caught, like, inside the 10-yard line. And Jacob Brumfield has the kind of arm that he can launch that sucker 60-plus yards down the field on that type of play. They're going to do stuff. They're going to try to quickly get the ball in the perimeter. They're going to run reverses. They're going to try to bootlegs. They're going to try to do things to steal big play opportunities because they know they can't can't beat you, which only enhances the need for you to be disciplined a linebacker. But they want to be balanced. They're also not going to force it if they're getting their butt kicked up front. And I think that's smart coaching. Like, look – we're not going to beat our head against the wall trying to do something we're not real good at if it's not going well. And, and if you're Notre Dame, it's like other games, right? Take that away. Make them one-handed. Doug Brunfield's not good enough to beat you if they're rushing for 50 yards in this game. He's not. 100%. He's not. Well, and, and I mean, we haven't talked about this, but I mean, we kind of have a little bit. But I think UNLV also has an understanding like, hey, we're coming into South Bend when Notre Dame is struggling, when they've lost to a team that's a little bit like us, like they've lost to a Marshall already, a group of five level team. And I think that UNLV is going to come into this game hungry, man. Like this is a this is an opportunity for them, right? Like mm-hmm. this is the formula that Notre Dame has struggled against, an athletic quarterback who they have some guys on the perimeter that can make some plays. I know, and Notre Dame has struggled at home, right? Like we've talked about this. They have struggled at home this year, so – if anybody's expecting oh, yeah. UNLV to just in the back of their mind go, man, we're going to come in there, we're going to collect a check, and we're going to go home with a, hopefully a close loss. Like, no, UNLV is going to come in to try to win. Like they, they, they're going to do that. So I expect a hunger UNLV team. But to your point, Brian, linebacker in the original point, they have to be ready to play their game because even when we're outside of Aiden Robbins and Doug Brumfield. You also have the wide receivers that get involved in the screen game, the RPO game, and that's also manipulating second level as well, too. So another hopeful get right for game for the linebackers because we just have not had a great showing from that department no. so far this year. No, we haven't. And we're gonna do a super we're gonna do a mailbag after this. So if you have questions, we do have a couple super chats and a couple questions. Get those in here now because we're gonna be wrapping this up here real soon. Ryan, I think they are gonna I think UNLV is gonna come in fired up. But I also think they're going to come in a little bit of a with a, 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 a they're going to be a, I think their emotions going to be high, but in the back of their mind they're also going to be a little bit fragile because you're coming off of back to back beatdowns, and so yeah you're going to convince yourself hey we can go play this is a this is a wounded Notre Dame team this is our chance we're going to come out and play but you know and and we'll talk more about this in the keys to victory tomorrow because I guarantee you starting fast will be on one of ours because they have yet to do it where if you can kind of come out and just have that kind of first quarter that you're capable of, you can put this team away early. And we're going to – I'll say this. We're going to know by the end of the first quarter if Notre Dame's come to play or not. I mean, flat out, we'll know. 
And and so it's not going to take long to determine if Notre Dame has righted the ship because this is the offensively more so than defensively. But offensively, yeah, it's 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 we're going to find out real quick if they've made the necessary adjustments. And even if they start fast, we're going to know, okay, they're just out talented these guys. Nothing's different, which is going to be a right. problem for moving forward games. So we're going to learn a lot about them right away. So that's the UN, a little look at the UNLB running Rebels. Quality, qual- ascending Mountain West team. Again, a, a team Notre Dame should handle, but also a team that if, if you overlook them, they, 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 can make, they can make this a much more competitive game. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those opportunities for you to come out and do that. So uh, Marcus Arroyo doing a good job, Ryan. Really like what he's doing. I'm very curious to see how many transfers end up there this offseason. If they can continue yep. to win, would love to see them come out of this game with a big loss, but then rally back and go kind of three and one or four and zero down the stretch and and just keep keep rolling because it's it's doable. I mean, three and one is very doable when you look it at is. their schedule. I mean, San Diego State's probably the toughest team they've they're going to play down the stretch. The rest of those teams are not good, so certainly an opportunity for them. So before we move on to the mailbag, I want to ask for you all to do us a favor: hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notice notification bell, share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast platform, please give us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Check out all the cool things we've got down there. We've got Built Bar. We've got our merch store. We've got all types of things. It's getting cold outside, Ryan, so it's time for me to talk to you about getting you an IB hoodie. And uh, I just ordered myself a couple new IB hoodies, so uh, definitely check the store out. We've got several different colors and sizes and types of hoodies, so those will be good to go. And, of course, everybody, sign up for the – boards.irishbreakdown.com to sign up to our premium message board. And thank you for being with us on this portion of the Irish Breakdown podcast.